0: Elon Musk saying, okay, you guys keep saying billionaires could solve world hunger on their own. I got $6 billion. Show me your plan. How do we do it? Um, interesting move by Musk because I think he feels a lot of the pressure of, hey, you've got so much money, you could solve all the world's problems. And he's saying, well, I will if you show me how we can do it. Now, can you really solve world hunger with $6 billion? Musk says, if you he can, here's the 6000000000 billion. Let's get it done. Um, Let's get some insight onto exactly what $6 billion would do against the problem of world hunger. Joining us is Dr. Evan Fraser, director of the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph. Uh, Dr. Fraser, thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. So, $6 billion to solve the world's hunger problem. Is it that simple? Is it $6 billion and this problem goes away? <laughs> well, no, of course not. And <laughs>
1: hey, thank you, Mr. Musk, for opening this conversation up. He was actually responding to something that the head of the World Food Program, that's a UN agency that delivers emergency food, uh, who this head of the World Food Program a couple days ago said, if all the billionaires of the world gave six billion to uh, to me, the World Food Program, I could save lives. Right. And I, I think it, Mr. Musk was was sort of calling. Uh, the head of the World Food Program out and say, okay, I'll do it, but you have to show me a plan. And, of course, spending $6 billion, uh, you know, the World Food Program could use that money and could feed people uh, in the developing world that are facing acute hunger today, and that would be a good thing. And it would do nothing to solve the longer-term issues of world (laughs) hunger, of
0: course. Um, What is the situation around world hunger right now? Um, You know, of course, it becomes a a global cause from time to time. What is the state of world hunger right now?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question, because this is really, really interesting. Um, Today, there's about 820 million people who are chronically undernourished on the planet today. And, And that's a big, big, big number. And the other thing that's really worth mentioning here is, you know, I've I've had. my has been going back to the 90s. Every year up from the 90s up until 2015, that number was coming down steadily year after year. But in 2015 and every year since 2015, the number of hungry people on the planet has gone up. So we were down well below 800 million seven years ago. We're now up, back up over 800 million. So something is going very wrong with world hunger in that. This is an area where we're falling behind on And every year. I mean, I was looking at the data in 2016, 2016, thinking, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's a blip. 2017, 2018, can't really argue it's a blip. 2021, the hunger reports came out from the UN just a few months ago. It, it's a trend. So we're losing track and losing, pro, losing against, um, against the, that, that, that standard, and, and it's, really, it's really worrying,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like you say, uh, the Musk discussion this week has certainly opened the conversation, which which is great. So, uh, I think most people understand that, you know, a one-time cash injection of $6 billion isn't going to solve the problem. What would? You know, if there was a plan that you could present to Elon Musk and other billionaires and say, okay, um, this is sort of a strategy that we think would actually have long-term lasting results, what would it look like?
1: All right. Well, I mean, A, it's complicated, and I, I, I don't think it's one that can be solved by, by just by just spending our way to the problem. There's three real, I think there's three real drivers as to why we have so many hungry people on the planet and why we're losing ground. And, and it's, it's climate change, it's conflict, and it's wealth inequality. And so, you know, about a billion people on the planet are small-scale farmers, largely in the developing world, largely in, you know, around the equator or tropical areas. Uh, so those people are most exposed to conflict, and as soon as an army starts moving through an area, food insecurity skyrockets because the first thing to go is the ability to harvest a crop. Second thing, climate change is reducing the productivity of those areas faster than it's reducing, say, the productivity of places like Canada. So, and then third, uh, you know, we've we've had <laughs> twenty years almost of uninterrupted wealth inequality where the rich yeah. have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer, and and the fact that. All must can can you know say I can just write a check for six billion dollars. That's no problem. Is actually a symptom of the problem that's led to this situation in the first place, and that's the fact that there's about a billion people on the planet who cannot afford. A a basic standard of living. So to solve those problems, we have to mitigate climate change. We have to invest in conflict resolution and peacekeeping activities. And we have to we have to tax the wealthy and and, and redirect that money to create floors below which people can't fall Uh, in in Canada, where we've got a very serious food insecurity problem, as well as internationally, where where what was what we're talking about today.
0: It's a huge problem. I mean, and we're looking at a very simplistic solution. Uh, Obviously, it's not realistic, but like you say, it's important that we have this discussion because, you know, as I was saying earlier, I mean, you know, you, you hear about famines and, you know, I mean, there's been some talk about what's going on in Yemen that has occasionally made headlines over here, but it's not in the headlines the way that it is at other times, but it never goes away, right? No, it's, it's at one of those hidden creeping problems that's, like I said, getting
1: worse every year for the last seven years, six years. Um, and I guess the other thing I'll say is, you know, to bring it home, you know, over the last two years, we've gone from a situation where pre-pandemic, about one in 10 Canadian households were food insecure. We're now about one in seven Canadians are food insecure. And I, I work a lot with... Um, folks in food banks and what's called the emergency food sector, NGOs and community groups that distribute emergency food to families in crisis. And and they've never been busier and they and and the federal government has stepped in and provincial governments have stepped in to support those during the pandemic, but we're we're really, you know, we're really facing the same problems that we're talking about internationally. Uh, domestically and locally, and it's, it's a problem in all of our communities, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so we need, to, we need to be mobilizing resources to address this, and I, I think this means that we need programs um, well, goodness, I mean, there's so many like, programs run by local schools just grassroots stuff to get kids that, uh, food that they need, you know, when they come to school hungry, um there's been a lot of talk in the last election campaign about, uh, about creating national school nutrition programs, which I think would be another really important step in addressing this uh, domestically. And we also have to, of course, be thinking uh, globally. And I, I'm really grateful for, for the debate this week yeah. because it allows us to talk about these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's an important discussion. Doc, thanks so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Hey,
1: my pleasure. Thanks for calling.
0: You bet. That's Dr. Evan Fraser, who is the director of the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph.